1: Oh, well, welcome back to Spiro Avenue and welcome to the hour of my self-indulgence. Because everybody knows that we talk about the Pistons and we talk about the Tigers and I talk about politics every now and then. That's the 10% piece of the pie. But if you look around you, surrounded by Michigan State stuff, right? I don't think I'm a homer. I think I'm a pretty straight arrow with this stuff, but I don't hide my allegiances. But diehard Michigan State guy tonight. Michigan State meat sandwich on the show. If, you, if you're a huge Michigan guy that can't stand it, not going to be your cup of tea. If you don't like college football, you don't like college basketball, also not your cup of tea. This is, I, I got to tell you, every guest I've had across from me, and we've had, what, three, four dozen so far over the years, uh, about three dozen in the new format. Every single guest I've had, I like to some degree, right? I mean, I, I'm not going to invite somebody that I just don't respect or think is a total moron. But if I had to rank them in some order, this guy would be in the top five in terms of my favorite guys to follow that I've had in here. If you have any interest in Michigan State athletics at all, recruiting, development of the programs, anything, this is one of the best places to go. The man across from me, he's got the best name in the whole world, Justin <laughs> Thin to welcome 247 Sports. Some people call it 24-7. I don't care what you call it. You're the man. I'm happy to have you.
2: I uh, really appreciate you having me. Um going to be hard to live up to that intro. So, you but live up to it every
1: day <laughs> I, I, on your account. Now, I, I've only caught a little bit of the Spartan beat. You know, I, I listened to a couple episodes before. So, I kind of got, you know, your vibe yeah. a little bit. Yeah, 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 I yeah. like to be a prepared host. So, I think you're good in that format. But your written word, your Twitter presence, the fact we were talking about before the show, yeah. like the fact that you're like 12 years old and you have all these sources. <laughs> and you're like nailing these stories. I, I was going into your archive. It's like you, you had the Malik Hall recruitment for Michigan State. I'm like, that guy's like 16 <laughs> years old. Like, yeah, I yeah. mean, are, are you in this guy's algebra class, like reading over his shoulders? I don't know what you're doing, but you're getting this information <laughs> somehow. But, I mean, sourcing aside, you're a talented guy, a talented writer. You really know your shit, and I'm happy to have you. I think it's a privilege for our audience to hear you, if they're into this stuff at yeah. all. They're in for a treat tonight with you, man.
2: Really appreciate all that. Yeah, fun to to talk about Michigan State with someone that's actually a super fan. So great, great to be here. Great to talk about this stuff for sure.
1: It's funny, man, because a (laughs) lot of people that follow us both, they all love you, but they don't like me. I mean, that's a common theme on this show. I have have the most like hate followers for someone that doesn't have a huge following. Like obviously Skip Bayless has more hate followers than I do. But I mean, like person for person, I think I have a really high ratio of hate followers So we have on the Venn (laughs) diagram of you and I, there is a big middle where there's people that follow both of us. You're this beloved figure. You're, you're this <laughs> rational, uh, smart, intelligent, uh, just well-spoken voice for Michigan State athletics and, and covering them, and I'm more of the guy like bitching about Foster Lawyer being on the team and, and <laughs> celebrating in the streets that he's, I guess, transferring. I mean, now there's rumors that he's not in the portal, actually, but who knows? I'm not even going to get into that because I'm in a good mood, <laughs> and we don't want to get myself in a bad mood. There's a lot to cover. so. Yeah, you know, I was talking with my buddy Scott this week, and you know he follows you, he's a fan of yours, big Michigan State guy himself. Right. He's actually been on the show, uh, smart guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know I, he knew the the gist of what we were talking about. We're going to get into Mel Tucker and the recruiting. We're going to talk a little bit about Tom Izzo and the basketball yeah. program. But he insisted. I knew I wanted to touch on it, right. but he insisted on an opening with Imani Bates.
2: Who's that? so
1: you're gonna you're just gonna disavow yourself completely so look i'm not gonna spend an hour on it but we have to cover it right if this show had been a couple days ago it'd be even more topical but you know you're here now right so let's get it out of the way it is a story imani bates commits to michigan state on national television espn in june of 2020 and now fast forward to april 2021 what is that eight months or something later He decommits publicly and now he's posting on Instagram. I got an offer from Seton Hall. I got an offer from University of Miami. I got an offer from Fort Wayne U, whatever. I mean, he's getting offers all over. Of course he is, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious. Look, I know there's no insiders. Brendan Quinn from The Athletic, maybe the best sports writer in the country today. He's right up there. Covers this team for a living because covers this program for a living. He, this guy's on the ball. Even he, he wrote a seven thousand word article about Imani Bates three or four weeks ago, and basically had no information because it's such a tight ship. So I don't expect right. you to deliver the guy's personal text messages or emails, but just your sense. Yeah, you, you're plugged in in a lot of ways. I know you, you've been shut out like everybody else on this, <laughs> but you're you're around this stuff. You mm-hmm. cover this for a living. You know when you're not doing engineering and, and working for NASA. Right. So what do you what do you think happened here? Was he ever coming? Did something go wrong? He was coming and then something changed his mind? Or are you in the more cynical route of it was always a supply to promote his high school that his dad founded on his behalf, essentially? Where do you land on this?
2: So I do know that there was not some recent like shift in the tide or anything like that, because I had been um, kind of asking the people that are very close to the situation, like what's the communication level between like Michigan State and like Amani Bates. Um, it was always the same answer for like the last eight months or so. They're in touch, but there's no solid plan. And that kind of goes against a little of like the notion we had of like Elgin Bates and how he does things where everything is like a calculated plan. And there is just like a lot of uncertainty. And even Michigan State coaches were 50-50 on it most of the way through. Um, I don't think there was anyone that would have told you that they think he's coming more likely than not coming. Um, but it wasn't so much of a done deal that he was always going to go the pro route if you asked the people that were actually involved in it. Um, I guess national media never thought he was coming because they just see um, you're not going to get paid in college, nil, kind of in an uncertain ground right now. And if he goes to the G League or overtime, the new league that has the Jeff Bezos and Drake funding, um, just all these avenues that are like popping up every day, it seems like. With any of those, he'll get his little salary with like $150,000, $180, 200000 But he also gets the ability to take on endorsements, which could be tens of millions with Nike and things like that. So from a mathematical standpoint in the short term, everyone thought there's no way he's coming to Michigan State. But a lot of people that knew Elgin Bates and knew like the way that he kind of likes to think about things, they were always looking at it from the perspective of like a five-year return on investment. And if you look at Zion Williamson, for example, if he doesn't go to Duke, putting the draft stock aside, he might still have been a top pick. He probably doesn't get 82 million or 72 million from Nike like he did on draft night this past um his rookie year. I think that everyone really knew that Imani would go top one. Yeah, we'll say first overall, no matter where he went. The entire element to consider though for the Bates camp is what can they do to maximize his portfolio throughout a several year stretch? Obviously in 2021, now if he goes to pro route, he's going to make way more than if he was at Michigan State. But by 2026, would he have made more if he went to the G League for one year and then the NBA for five or MSU for one, the NBA for five? I would say that playing on ESPN every single night that your team's playing and just being in that national audience, being on March Madness, that would give you a level of, I guess, casual fan engagement of people that might not know who's playing in the overtime or G league. Um, Think about people that don't really watch college basketball, but still knew who Zion was. That's kind of the market that Amani would have kind of broken into if he went to Michigan state. And that was always something that Elgin and the guys were considering. At the end, I guess they didn't think that it was worth it. Um, There's just a variety of options now. He could even sit at home for a year and just train and just reel in money from Nike and things like that. Um, Personally, if I was making the decision, I would have gone like the Zion route. I would have gone to Michigan State. I would have gotten my name out there. I would have seen what the endorsements were like on draft day next year. But either way, he's probably going to be the first first overall pick. He didn't really lose anything. And now he kind of gets to, I don't want to say hide, but he kind of gets to protect his draft stock as it is right now in the G League. And he doesn't have to worry about any random Tuesday in the Big Ten play getting locked up by somebody on Indiana or Illinois. And nobody can play perfectly throughout the year in the Big Ten. Everyone gets exposed eventually. And you're already kind of starting to see signs of Imani kind of not having the same stature of invincibility here towards his last few weeks of playing ball in the circuit. So Honestly, I think it's the safer choice. I think he'll be able to maintain his brand as it is now. Um, I think he'll benefit from not being under the spotlight all the time. It also would have been hard to see him meshing with Coach Iz. He's not really someone that's had that kind of coaching so far. Um, obviously, there's the whole Akins Amani thing that everyone knows about. There just would have been so much baggage. And the other thing, I know people didn't want to really talk about this while he was committed to Michigan State, because Nobody wants to think about that as a reason for not wanting him to come. But just imagine what would have happened if he came here, wasn't all that, fell to second or third overall. What would the narrative have been about Tom Izzo? Tom Izzo ruined Imani Bates' draft stock. They're just sort of in this whole baggage around See, They the say that crap yeah, anyway, exactly. though. I don't yeah. care.
1: See, you care more about that. Than I, d- right? I don't I, care I, that I don't much
2: care about, about it, that but that I'm stuff. just saying, like, there's so many downsides from a PR standpoint that would have come along with the Amani thing. And if you don't win the title, is it really worth it? Because if you don't win the title, Imani's still gone either way. So what have you taken on in the short term? You've taken on all this like um, controversy might be too strong of a word, but there's a lot of baggage you're taking on. And I do think there would have been a team chemistry aspect to it, even beyond just the PR stuff on Twitter from Michigan fans. And uh, from like talking to people that have like played with him or played against him, Yes, you could hope that it would have been a little more smooth sailing once he got to East Lansing, but I haven't heard that he's the most easiest guy to play with. So there, there were some real concerns, but I was always willing to accept those concerns just for the way I looked at it was, if Imani Bates is on the roster, is the team better than if he's not on the roster? The answer is always yes. And he's just this huge stature of a guy that it would have just put Michigan State on Sports Center like, to a whole nother level. We would have been getting like that Duke treatment for a year. Uh, things of that nature, I think I would have taken it. Like, if right, right now someone's like, do you want to money Bates on the roster? Yes or no? I'd say yes, but I wasn't sitting there moping about him going pro. That's probably the best way that well, I put it. I think most people
1: understood. I mean, there, there was this parade of of Michigan fans on social media when the decommitment came out, you know, about a week or so ago. You know, ha-ha, told you so. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know who these people are talking to, but the majority of my friends Went to Michigan State. All my family, for the most part, with a couple exceptions, went to Michigan State. I don't know anybody in my wide swath, my big circle, the 15 Spartan people I've had in studio that were like, oh, yeah, he's coming. Like it right. was, everybody was under 50%. The highest was like 40%. I heard anybody say, I, I think I was in the 35, 40 camp. But I, I agree with you. What, with, it's easy for us to say. It's not our decision. It's not yeah. our money. It's not our risk. Right. I think there is a lot of value in what Zion did. It's not just that you're on national TV 30 plus times. Yes, they're seeing you play. But the nature of those broadcasts, if you watch them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's not just, oh, there's Zion. He's on the TV. It's clips of Zion every five mm-hmm. seconds. It's Barack Obama paying you know, for courtside seats to watch him play. It's everything around it, the social media virality, the fact that the broadcast is so centered on him. Right. It would have been the same thing for Imani. It's basically 30-plus free commercials centered on just you and highlighting you. Yep. I think that's – you almost can't quantify that, and that's something he would be forfeiting unless he kind of backs up. Yeah. You mentioned the Jaden Akins thing. This is a, one of my kind of sticking points with this whole process. David Klein. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know DK. I know DK. DK's a great, great, dude. great, great dude to great guy. talk basketball with. Yep. Smart guy. Yep. I, I mean, you guys are like my two favorite for, for this space. Yeah, He's been in a couple of times, but yeah. he was the one that was really on the ball with that whole Jaden Aikens thing, Imani Bates. To his own detriment, in some sense, because there were a lot of Michigan State fans that were mad at him <laughs> for not like covering it up, which right. is like, that's very LSU of you, Michigan State fans. Like, do you better hide the truth about this spat that happened so we can protect our guy. It's like, no, like it happened. It's relevant. It's concerning. So I want to hit that really quick. So right. we, we chopped it up into two clips and, and then we can kind of put a button on Imani Bates. Right. So here's DK breaking down Imani Bates and a fellow recruit at the time, Jaden Akins.
0: Uh, First and foremost, my understanding of the situation is there was a conflict that arose at practice, that words were exchanged and there was a question of both effort and sharing of the ball that had occurred. And as a result, the Bates camp took extreme exception to it. It came to a head. Um, during a game in which uh, Akins had his head down, he missed Bates on the alley-oop, and Bates had extremely poor body language. I'll drop the video here below so you can see it. There was some questioning of his attitude, and just generally he was being cast in unfavorable light. And as a result, the Bates camp decided to push Akins out. Um, I think it's utterly preposterous and ridiculous. He's a 17-year-old kid. The adults in the room should have squashed this beef. I coached high school basketball for six years. Kids are going to fight. Kids are going to call each other out and hold each other accountable. That's part of being involved in a great team, a team that wants to win. And so the fact that this wasn't squashed internally and handled appropriately, I think says a lot about the situation surrounding Bates.
1: Concerning, and we'll play the second half of this clip in a second, but just the whole idea of, look, he's in high school, I know, but so is Max Christie. So is Pierre Brooks. So is Jayden Aikens. So are a lot. Chad Holmgren. Mm-hmm. So are a lot of guys that we're not hearing this kind of stuff about. Right. Tom Izzo has ripped people's faces off for for getting the switch or for not fighting through a pick. Like when Durrell Summers when, you know, go for a loose ball twelve years ago. Wait, guy was going to kill him. Yeah, I can't imagine Tom Izzo reacting to you didn't pass me the ball, so I'm going to sulk. I'm not going to get back on defense. Yeah. He might kill the guy. Right. So I don't think it would have worked. I'll, I'll get you in one sec. Let's play the second half of mm-hmm. DK because DK's. Conclusion was he doesn't basically even want a money he Bates here if this is what we're going to be dealing with. DK yeah. finishing up.
0: I personally think it's beginning to look a lot uh, unlikely that he actually does show up. My understanding is Michigan State is aware of this situation, that the staff is supporting Aikens. Everything that I've heard uh, about Aikens is that he's a hardworking, humble kid. I did an interview with him this summer, and he was well-spoken, well-mannered, and extremely nice. Um, He's a kid that really is... Thrust into a poor situation now that he's gonna have to scramble to try to find a program. And I, I just think that long term, I'm not gonna, you know, look into a crystal ball and guess. Um, but if there's a choice to be made in the situation between Aikens and Bates, for me it's very simple. You choose Jaden Akins.
1: Our discussion from about six minutes ago. Right. Your position was look, I want him no matter what. I, I kind of agree. And the reason I agree is I'm tired of having uh, no drama and then we lose on Saturday <laughs> in the Final Four. I mean, it's like, yeah, we go to the Final Four every three years, but we lose on Saturday every time. It's a first-world college basketball problem. I just want to see that second national title. And like you said, you have a better chance with Imani Bates than if you don't. But if it, if it had come to Imani Bates's camp, you know, coming from Elgin Bates' dad, saying, look, we're not playing with Jaden Akins. You have to back off him if this had happened, you know, earlier in the process, would you have cast the nice young lesser player aside to appease the, the diva star? Are you willing to go that far?
2: You're asking me the popular question that's been debated on the forums of three years of Akins versus one year of your I want this. The, I want
1: the three years of Akins If that's, if he's issuing ultimatums, <clears throat> I don't care how good you are. You got to get out.
2: Yeah. i um, sitting here today. I think it's a no brainer. I'm taking three years of Akins because he's the one that's actually committed to us. But, I would also say that I don't think that I don't think Elgin and those guys ever would have issued such an ultimatum because they probably would have felt that they could just come here and El, and like Amani would just like run roughshod through the whole like program. He'll get all the minutes. He'll get all that. They probably in their mind thought that no matter where they go, they could pretty much just like keep running how they're running well, it. Years and of
1: reinforcement, right?
2: Yeah. So I we're, not, we're never going to get to find out, but I do think issues just would have kept arising just like that. Wouldn't have been Aikens would have been someone else next time would have been uh, Amani getting mad that Gabe Brown hit a wide open three as opposed to passing to Amani in a double team. So like it would have just been other things, but yeah, I, I feel like we basically agree about how you're better off. You're closer to winning a second title if you have him, but there just sort of been so many moments like that. And We'd be hearing Kenny Smith on TV every day complaining about Tom Izzo and his yelling, and it just would have been a year of that for, for better odds at winning the title, but I don't know. I
1: deal with that I stuff know. anyway. I, <laughs> I just think these people that, like, oh, they don't like our coach, they're picking on our coach. Who cares? I don't care. I mean, I, yeah, I love that Stephen A. Smith, like, grabs a club and defends Tom Izzo to the death. I think it's great. I mean, I'd rather have them take out for us, I guess, if I had to pick. I don't care what Kenny Smith thinks about my, <laughs> hey, he's not a Michigan State fan. They all hate Mel Tucker for leaving Colorado high and dry. They were all whining about that. Clutch your yeah. pearls. I don't care about that. But let's wrap with Imani here. You've said a couple times, well, we'll never find out, okay? Uh, it would have been interesting to see. Are you completely, entirely, 100% burying the whole Amani to Michigan State story? Did it? And before it ever really began, or is there a sliver, a 2% chance that that flame, if it was there in the first place, is rekindled and he's playing any slancy next year or two years or whenever?
2: The reason I can't see it is because the staff was never sitting here the last few months, like just waiting to see what Imani would do. They they really were not worried about what he was going to do either way. They were going to operate the same way they were going to. And now that he's decommitted, I don't suddenly see them calling him 24-7 and begging him to come play at Michigan State. They were not sitting here with anxiety before, and I can't see them now suddenly needing Amani. When the last few months, their thought process has been, we're going to go ahead and we're going to get guys from the portal. We're not going to save a spot for Amani. If he comes, great. If not, less baggage for us. So now I don't suddenly see that transforming to them being like, we desperately need to get Amani back after not even... I wouldn't say not bothering to try to convince him, but like they were just letting them do their own thing the last few months. And that kind of just tells me all I need to know about that angle of it. I don't, I don't see them suddenly now going into desperation mode and trying to get him back.
1: So we'll put a bow on Imani, but just as the sort of natural transition, you see the, I'll butcher the name, Bioke okay, bioke, okay, whatever. Blachi, yeah. <laughs> I was at all. <laughs> this is why you're here. Thank you. I, and I'm not going to try to say it again. The, the good case. Isn't he from Canada? Correct. The good. You know, see, I got that right. The saga. The yeah. good. The good Canadian guy. The good tall Canadian guy. How about that? That guy went to Arizona State, backed off his commitment. Obviously, we've Mm -hmm. talked about Imani Bates for 20 minutes. We know what happened there. Is Michigan State done for this class? I mean, it seems like they're done. They added Tyson Walker. There's still some moving parts. We don't know if Rocket Watts is coming back. Like, it feels like we're not as resolved as we should be. It's not necessarily a bad thing because there might be good things to come, but, like, What's next? Do you, what do you see happening next? Rocket coming back? Any other recruits coming in that we don't know about? Where, where do we kind of wrap with this year?
2: I don't see a 2021 high school recruit entering the fold. Maybe if there's a 2022 kid that they really like that might reclassify. Like I know Terrace Reed's a 2022 recruit, where we're in Jalen in Washington, but I haven't heard anything about them reclassifying. So. The high school side of things, I would say, we're pretty much done with that in terms of the kids that could enroll here before the next season. I do think that they will probably fill at least one of the next two portal spots that they have, uh, or scholarship spots. But through the portal, um, they're not going to fill them just to fill them, though. They're not just going to be like, we have two spots, let's just get somebody so we have all the scholarships filled up. But for months now, their plan had been to get two guys from the portal, and they have. Gotten Walker already. So I'm assuming they're still going to stick to the plan of getting one more. Um, the other thing is there's gonna be like a second wave here now that the semester has ended of guys entering the portal that didn't want to enter before getting their credits from last semester. So it'll be interesting to see who joins the portal now. Today we had Remy Martin from Arizona State join. Um, so I, I think there's a second wave coming here soon, and I'd like to think that Michigan State will find at least one guy that they like, maybe two. And I would like it to be a wing that can shoot threes. Um, even if it's, even if it's not somebody that can create his own shot, I'll take like a three and D type of guy. Um, I guess we don't really need a center if none of these guys leave. Well, they probably won't, but if there would have been like, I don't know, some attrition with either marble or Suzuko, maybe I would have liked to have seen a center, but I really can't justify that need right now either. So yeah, I'll say that it's worth looking out for one more portal addition and for it to be a wing. Let's
1: get on the record with Rocket Watts, though, because here's the outline. Season ends. Rocket Watts has been sort of Raymar Morgan 2.0, like just infuriates everybody, but tantalizing talent, right? Season ends. He might transfer. He's a candidate to transfer. Those rumors are out there. Sure enough, here comes the announcement. Rocket Watts is transferring. He's in the portal. All the rumors. You're more plugged in than I am, but I just know what I see. All the rumors are. Rocket Watts is going to Kentucky. It's, it's considered a done deal on whatever the red Cedar message board equivalent is for Kentucky down in Lexington. Okay. Everyone thinks he's going there. Suddenly that cools off Then the bubbles come up. The rumor is now the last one I heard that he is coming back to Michigan state. And so we've had like three courses of rumors here and we have had no resolution. Do you know anything? Do you have any sense? Is rocket Watts coming back to this team? Um, So
2: the, the, the part that I know was the closest to kind of being done was him going to one of those like free flow offense type of things um, like LSU or Florida State. So I guess by free form, I mean coaches that don't have a playbook on offense like Will Wade and Leonard Hamilton, um, those kind of guys where he has a lot of creative freedom on offense. Uh, it was those were two schools he was really eyeing. And then I heard um, like Xavier and Dayton, too. And yeah, since then, it has been quiet. I don't know if I agree that that means he's coming back. I think it's just taking longer for him to find the home that he wants to go to. The whole other thing of it is, is he's six foot two, and you can't play shooting guard in the NBA if you're six two unless you're a money shooter. Like Bryn Forbes is even like six three, and Rockets nowhere close to shooting like Bryn did. No. So he needs to either a find a place where he can play point guard and do it better than he did at Michigan State if he wants any shot at playing in the NBA. Or kind of just forget about the NBA for now and just try to be the best college shooting guard he can be. And I don't know if coming back to Michigan State is the best for his growth in either of those ways. Because when he comes back to Michigan State, if there's not a huge improvement, he'll still be a shooting guard that shoots 25% from three. And Max Christie, I can see him easily taking up the minutes that, that Rocket would have had. So for him, um, I don't think that for pro prospects whatsoever, Michigan State's not the move because we're going to have Walker and Akins playing the point guard, and he, in this system, can't play point guard. That was pretty much clear this season. So if he's going to work on point guard, definitely needs to go elsewhere. If he's going to work on shooting guard, he needs to step it up a lot, or he's going to see himself outside of the starting lineup for most of the year. So for those reasons, I don't see why he would come to Michigan State unless he's like, Back to the trajectory he was at as a freshman, and there's no certainty that that's the case.
1: I didn't get the sense that Tom Izzo was walking around with his blanket like Linus, sucking his thumb, devastated about this transfer. I mean, it's just tea leaves reading. It's a statement and just sort of whispers around the program that no one uh, was calling their therapist to sit on a couch and talk about. Rocket watch departing. Like you talked about Rocket's angle and his his path to the pros and style fit or lack thereof. Right. I get his perspective. Like from the Michigan State perspective, did what was their sort of take on him? Are, are, they don't seem sad that he's leaving. Is that
2: fair? Is that accurate? Am I reading that right? I would say that there are people that are not disappointed about him leaving at all. But Coach Izzo himself liked Rocket quite a bit. But like you said, he wasn't sitting there like, oh, what are we going to do next year now that Rocket's not here? But kind of the gist of it is that a lot of guys thought that Coach Izzo gave Rocket even more freedom and more, like, goodwill than than they would have if they were in his spot. So Izzo didn't want him to leave necessarily, and he wasn't excited that he left. But, yeah, like you said, no one was sitting here, like, flabbergasted about the state of Michigan State basketball now that he's gone. But Izzo, Izzo did like him a lot more than... Some people said that that they would have in his shows.
1: So you don't have to name names because I know you won't anyway. I'm not yeah. going to ask you. But you did mention two sentences ago that there are some people that, you know, excluding Tom Izzo, that were kind of like, all right, you know, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. <laughs> what was their beef? Do you know? Like, what? why did he rub people the wrong way in the program?
2: No, he he's not one of those guys that himself, like, treated people in, like, any sort of off-putting way or anything like that. It was... I don't know how much of this is true, so I don't want to go too much into it, but the the people around him that were kind of advising him were not really in tune with what the coaches also felt was best for him. So kind of like the people that were his advisors were not meshing with where Michigan State coaches felt his head needed to be, what they thought he needed to be playing like on the court. They had kind of been in his ear since even before he committed to Michigan State. Some people might remember how like they're, announcement kind of kept getting delayed and things like that so his I guess handlers you can say uh, from back in the day they were not always on the good side of Michigan State basketball and they never really went away So, I again, that's what I've heard, but not directly from somebody that has would have dealt with these people in his group. We we, we deal in second and (laughs) third-hand stuff
1: here. This isn't, you know, the Washington Post. Like, I'll deal with third-hand sources, I'll deal with what you heard from the guy's mailman. You know, you can go three, four degrees of separation on this show, right? So, no, you're good. Yeah, let's 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 speculate. I mean, we know where you're not reporting anything, it's just whispers. Yeah,
2: if it's just whispers and speculation, then yeah, I'll say that there was there was a disconnect between the people who rocket was being advised by and the Michigan state coaches. And people were not too upset that they finally had to, that they finally got out of that whole sphere. Tom
1: Izzo's record with quote unquote handlers or teams or camps is horrible. And I, I'm not even <laughs> sure it's a bad thing. Like it's the reason why we're never in any real trouble. I mean, it's again, I see what's going on with LSU and, you know, my other school, UNC, uh, they kind of dodged the bullet there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty clean program. But it just seems like Tom Izzo's never never uh, – these guys always hate him. Like, the, the bag men just hate this guy. We saw it with Swan again years ago as well. Anyway, let's keep it on Izzo. We'll get away from right. the recruiting, get away from all that. I'm curious where you're at big picture with Tom Izzo. Now, I, there's a couple different takes on this. I have one theory I like to talk about. I call it the Sean theory for my brother, Sean who when Stephen Izzo, Tom Izzo's son, was uh, committed or uh, if you want to use the word committed, <laughs> agreed to come to Michigan yeah. State or what was welcomed to come to Michigan State basketball, he said at the time, this is great because we have four more years of Tom Izzo. Mm-hmm. He's not going to leave in his son's sophomore year. Like He's, he's going to see his sons four years through. Right. I thought that was a good point when he made it. I think he was right. We're halfway there. So the Sean theory would have Tom Izzo, it didn't say he would definitely leave the year mm-hmm. after Steve graduates, but it was just a minimum four more years. The Sean Theory would say, we have two years left, and then we're watching the clock on this guy's career. He's phenomenal. The Michigan State fans that, that shit on this guy, I want him to have a second title more than anybody, probably except the man himself, okay? I agree he needs it if he wants to really leap up there. I'm with you. He's not beyond reproach. That said, the guy is phenomenal. Hall of Famer for a reason, A+. So I'm curious where you land on this. I, I, how much time does he have left? I, it's not going to be 10 years. I'd be shocked if he's doing the, the Coach K coaching and pushing and 80 thing. I see, a, you know, two, three years left. Am I being pessimistic?
2: So I have brought this up to people that work with Tom Izzo on a frequent basis. And my guess that I have kind of put out there to see what their reaction would be is, I would say, I think Tom Izzo stays for the entire duration of the current recruiting class that just came in with Aikens, Christian Brooks. And the general consensus I get is that's, that's a fair assessment. So I would say four years is, is what I would kind of guess. That's kind of what I'd handicap it at.
1: That's pretty good because, like I said, you're not going to – if you're a Michigan State fan, you like Tom Izzo like you should. Right. Like I said, I, I really don't think you're going to get 10. You're probably not going to get eight. So, like, if you can guarantee me four or five more years – like I would yeah. probably take that if you offered it. The up other front. thing
2: is, do we believe when Tom Izzo says that this pandemic re energized him and he now is further away from retiring than ever because he realized that being at home was boring. That's what he keeps saying. I see I didn't Jim hear that. Rome. That's oh okay to, that's news to me. He so said that he, yeah. So he said that um like uh at his beginning of the year presser, um, once we finally got the season going and things like that. And then I believe he also said it um on one of the national radio shows, maybe Jim Rome. Um That's something he said a couple of times where he's like realized that while he's sitting at home all the time, there's not that much to do. He just wants to get back out there and coach. So he has said a few times that now he's further away from retiring than ever. I don't know if that's just kind of like a short term thing. In four years, is he really going to be like, well, that one time we had the pandemic, I was bored a couple of days. So suddenly let me change my whole career plan. I don't know, maybe, but I I'll still stick with my four years guess.
1: Uh, yeah, I would take it. I think, and I think that's fair. I mean, I, he's definitely going to stay through Steven's thing. I, he's not yeah. leaving after this year, Yeah. but okay. Good insight from the people around time as well. I, you know, the guys on my wall in like five different places. I have a commissioned painting of the guy <laughs> on my wall over my shoulder. So obviously, uh, you saw my license plate. It's it's TM Izzo. So I'm a, you know, I'm a huge Izzo guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hope he stays for 50 years and, you know, is wheeling around. So, I mean, who knows? But I think four is a a fair assessment. So the natural transition off that, Mm -hmm. and and I know it is contingent on timeline. A lot is going to change. We threw together a little list. That's probably not even a good list. (laughs) Certainly will be an even worse list in four years because so much will change. But Just as a fun little talking point nugget. Let's throw it up there, Ben. These are the names that are kind of like out there. This isn't the list I'm advocating for, by the way. These these are the names that you talk to people at CBS or you just see their, it's just their speculation. You have Brian Gregory, current head coach at South Florida, former MSU assistant. Uh, Doug Wojcik, director of recruiting at Michigan State now, former Tulsa head coach. Tom Crean, most people know him current head uh, coach at Georgia, former MSU assistant, obviously multiple-time Big Ten champion at IU. Uh, My brother's favorite, Nate Oates, head coach at Alabama. I think the clear star on this list Mm -hmm. the list if you could pick. And the sort of UNC Tar Heel route, Dwayne Stevens, where you go with a current assistant, uh, Dwayne Stevens, current Michigan State assistant. I'm putting him on there because I think you have to. He's been there forever as the associate head coach, but I don't think he's viable. Mm Like. Where do you think they go? Do you think they go, the UNC, Hubert Davis, Roy, even with Roy Williams, Larry Brown? I mean, they always go to a Tar Heel. Tom Izzo himself paid his dues on the Michigan State bench under Judd Heathcote. Do you think they hire within the family? It doesn't have to be in the family now. Tom Crean is in the family, technically. Yeah. Do you think they hire within the family, or is it like a blank slate search whenever they move on?
2: So here's here's something that's interesting about... So Nate Oates, everyone's favorite candidate, my favorite candidate. I'm Nate Oates or bust when it comes to who's replacing Izzo, at least in terms of who is out there right now. Maybe there's a rising star in a couple of years and that changes my mind. But So Nate Oates is someone that technically is not within the family. He's never coached at Michigan State. But there's a little different nuance there with him than when it comes to other people at other programs that don't have technical or don't have like actual ties to the program. So when Nate Oates was, I don't know if you know this, some people do, some people don't, but he he's done interviews where he's mentioned this in the past, but Nate Oates, when he was um, a teacher and a coach at Ypsilanti High School in Michigan, would always come up to Michigan State anytime he had free time. He'd watch the walkthroughs, he'd um, coach alongside Izzo at camps. He was like at Michigan State every chance he got for a few years. See, I didn't know that. Yeah. So- While he's not really in the family, he's someone that Izzo has gotten to know closely. There's a relationship there. Yeah. So, yeah. So, like, I can see that being, if there's a spectrum between total strangers to the program and in the family, he's closer to in the family than the other side of the things. So I do think that there's, maybe I'm, like, getting my hopes up, but I think that there's a chance that he can come here and be the successor for reasons beyond just, oh, he's from Michigan. And Michigan State's a good school. He, this is a program he's been around and that he's been involved in in an unofficial capacity for a few years. And he talks glowingly of Tom Izzo. They talk all the time from what I've heard. And it's just if you can come home and he can replace the guy that's his idol who got him into coaching, I can see that definitely being realistic. Who knows, maybe four years from now, Alabama's been to two Final Fours and he's thinking, why do I need to leave a program i built with my bare hands? I can see that. These days, you don't really need to go to a Blue Blood in order to win. I think you can do it at a program like Alabama, where at least you have some decent funding and some facilities. Maybe he doesn't take it, but I do think that Michigan State's in a unique position to get someone like him, as opposed to some of the other schools that might have openings of the similar stature by then.
1: I think Nate Oates is the answer, if we're kind of projecting with what we know now. You Mm -hmm. mentioned it. I teased it. We don't know... There might be, you know, Shaka Smart's uh, shine has has dimmed a little bit in the last (laughs) eight years. But, like, at the time with the VCU Final Four run, like, that was kind of out of nowhere. Like, that program fell Mm -hmm. out of the sky and he was the hot name. That's very possible in the next couple years. But where we stand right now, if we can only deal with what we know and trying to project out, I think Nate Oates is really the only option that I think is viable. I thought it was viable before he was at Basketball Fun Camp with his own. Now I like it even more. But if you get – Out of him, I think you are get off him. You're into the Brian Gregory basket, the Tom Crean basket. These guys that have failed in other places. I don't know. Everyone's arrogant about their their program, right? So I I I have friends and family and people that I read that say, oh, it's Michigan State. They'll get anybody they want. But if you look at Tom Izzo's salary, it's just under four million, I believe, that including some bonuses, stipulations, Mm and that. It's about four million dollars. Let's call it four. Yeah. Chris Beard just got five at Texas. Izzo is the current, I think, eighth or ninth highest paid coach. He's nowhere near the, you know, Shashevsky making seven, Calipari making eight. He's up there. I mean, he's top 10, but like he's, he's making 20% less than the darling that Texas just got from Texas Tech. So I'm just, I don't know if I trust that the money will be there and the way it was for the football program. I hope I'm wrong, but if Izzo's gone. I don't think Nate Oates, for whatever affinity he may have for Michigan State, I think they he's going to be a hot name. He's not going to take $1.5 million less. So I'm just, it's not even a question. I'm just right. putting it out there. Yeah. I have concerns. They're not paying their Hall of Fame legend in that top five. I mean, I, I think he probably deserves it. Are they going to pay his successor 20 25% more than Tom Izzo? I mean, maybe. I just had a hard time believing it.
2: I think the thing is with Izzo, he probably could demand – more i think he just doesn't if he was over here interviewing with nba teams like every year um like if magic kept calling every single year i think he could get himself a pretty big bump every single year plus now if you think about where we are these days with the program and the donor base we have do you really think matt ishby is gonna let Money be the reason Michigan State basketball falls away, falls
1: away. Very <laughs> fair. Very fair. That is a very yeah. fair counter. I'm not going to fight you on that. I mean, it's, it's a great counter. Yeah. I think you're probably right. I said that, you know, that is my concern. I don't know. I, to me, it'd be weird. I wouldn't complain, but it'd be mm-hmm. weird to have, you know, hire someone in at a quarter more than Izzo was making, but whatever. That's true. That's true. I mean, I just, I don't want, it, there's this like myth out there that Michigan State has, oh, it'll work out. It's like once you, money aside. Yeah. It. If you take NATOs off the table, I don't like the list. Me neither. That's enough. I don't th- like
2: it. I've been told um to like as an article idea, people are like, "Why don't you go ahead and make a list of p- potential Tom Izzo replacements?" And I'm like, "No, I don't really think that's a good idea." They're like, "Why?" Because you don't like to speculate. I'm like, "No, because I don't like who would be on the list." I, I
1: did it for this show. Do you think? Do you think I took any great pleasure yeah. in, in, in putting Brian Gregory and his like 48 win percentage on the board? But that's just that's who we're looking at. You know, yeah. Doug Wojcik. It's like it, it's a bunch of guys. Like, well, you know, Tom Crean. I think Tom Green gets a little bit of a bad rap. It's like people forget the guy won multiple Big Ten titles at IU. And I had a lot of bad years too, but there's this like myth out there that he was just a total disaster, and he wasn't. But he's not any shining star in Georgia either. Even when yeah. he had Edwards there, Anthony Edwards there, I just there's no like F. They're not going to hire an F. Like they're not going to hire the word. It's not going to be a disaster. But there's a lot of like B minus type right. players out right. there. And that's not inspiring. We already have like an A coach now that we're just we're, we're, we're talking about the heartbreak of 2012 and 2010 and 2014. It's just, he can't even get us over the hump. That's like a time. Now we're going to take a backward slide. So yeah. I'm with you. It's kind of like Nado's are bust. The people that are like Brad Stevens, Indiana thinks they're hiring Brad nah, Stevens every nah. year. <laughs> he's not coming. He's definitely not coming here if he's turning down IU. You know, which I think would have more affection. He'd have more affection for than coming to Michigan State. But you're not going to get that guy. You're not going to get Billy Donovan. Forget it. Like that's the, the people that wanted John Gruden every year for Michigan State. It's like, it's not, it's not happening. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's NATO. It's bus, right? Can we wrap that? Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. <laughs> no home run available. So let's transition <laughs> to the football program. This is an exciting time. I think for Michigan State, you talked about commissioned paintings of Tom Izzo on the wall. We got uh, what Three paintings of Mel Tucker, although none in this room, but I'll show them to you after. They're okay. fantastic. Mel Tucker. I am early on the train. Loved them from day two. From day one, I said, wait a minute, Mel Tucker, I didn't know much about him. I see five and seven. Like, Wasn't he the assistant on those really good teams that were good even without him like Bama and Georgia? I've totally converted. Yeah. Uh, And for the record, I'm not just a blind converter. I hate plenty of what Michigan State Athletics has done, but I actually think he's getting it right. So he's been hot in the news. I mean, just got another... Recruiter uh, recruitment today successful from Alabama. Mm-hmm. The cornerback I don't remember the fucking kid's name.
2: Ronald Williams. Thank yeah. you,
1: <laughs> Ronald Williams. A good cornerback, four star from Bama. It's like, I, who was it? Um, was it Connor Muldowney? I think it was Connor Muldowney had a tweet. Uh, I'm sorry if I, I'm crediting the wrong person. I think it was Connor had the 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 tweet where it's like, here's the programs that um, have like basically come into Michigan state, Mel Tucker's program. And it's like Alabama, like Florida, Tennessee. And here's the programs where these kids that are transferred out have gone to, and it's like Chattanooga or whatever. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's adding at least on paper to the pool. So this, we've seen a big shift here. I have some friends up there in, in the department. Blaze Watson is their director of creative mm-hmm. right yeah. now. He's done stuff for us. Like I, The buzz around them now is that it is a complete 180 from the Mark D'Antonio era. He's recruiting differently. He's handling, handling things just entirely differently. So I'm going to throw up a Mel Tucker quote regarding his recruiting strategy, and I want you to talk about where you think they're going. Yeah. So, Ben, throw that up for me. So this is a Mel Tucker quote. This is almost a year ago now, talking about he's talking to the media about his recruiting. Quote, I don't even want them on my recruiting board unless they have size. Like we're not even gonna recruit them because if you make one exception, you are gonna have a team full of exceptions. There might be a kid that's six feet and 245 pounds at defensive end that wants to come and he might even be a good player. But at the end of the day, you end up playing against Georgia or Alabama. That kid will have a hard time holding up. End quote. Mel Tucker talking about his recruiting strategy. So, what do you see? What do you see them trying to do? It seems to me he's getting in the big pool. He wants to play and compete with the big boys. Is that accurate to you?
2: Yeah, I can say that he has definitely lived up to that quote for sure with who they offer, who they kind of start recruiting, then kind of back off from because they realize that 6'3, 220 at defensive end isn't going to get it done. Suddenly the kid's going to. Louisville, and anyway, so you kind of see these kind of signs uh, if you pay like really close attention to who they kind of start cooling off of, why, and who's getting the offers, and that's absolutely how they're operating. That was not just lip service when he got hired. That's his real philosophy. That you can see the proof is in the pudding with that. I think that he really does operate on a daily basis with thinking. Uh, there was another similar quote to that later on, a few months later. I don't remember the exact quote, but the gist of it was. If you can't beat Ohio State, we will find someone that can. And that's kind of how he has operated with turning this roster over through the portal. He has looked at who was on the team when they got here. He has realized that those guys, those 18 or 20 that have left, good luck to them, but I don't think they were going to be instrumental in us beating Ohio State. And he went ahead and got guys that I think will do that. And that's the that's the basic way I'd summarize what has happened here uh, the last few months with the portal. Um, there's guys that he never would have offered to begin with, that have now found places where they'll get playing time where they will get to extend their dreams of like playing college football. And that's good for them. And Michigan State will go ahead and use those spots for guys that will actually complete compete for playing time at positions of need, like three linebackers that we picked up, um, corners that we had a lot of need for. Just all over the board. We have included guys that will now be competing for either platoon duty at starting positions like at cornerback or just all out upgrades at the position like Quaverus Crouch, who he's going to be playing that sideline to sideline athletic mold linebacker that in the 4-2-5 is the one that's not so centric to the middle. And that position was what Antoine Simmons played last year. If you take Crouch out of that role, who's replacing Antoine Simmons? A true freshman, Ma'a, now Teote. Um, maybe Devin Hightower, like there's such a huge drop-off where if you don't get Corvair's crouch of who's playing that position. So tiny things like that that people don't understand if they don't follow the transfer portal and they're like, okay, transfers, but we want to force our high school recruit. That's how the program was built. That's all good and fine, but this is basically showing that he's almost impatient with the rebuild. He wants to start winning now. He wants to get the win-loss record straightened out. And then you can go ahead and sell that to high school recruits. You can say, hey, look, we won eight games in year two after being two and five in year one. So he's trying to fix this as soon as possible. And he's doing it by kind of advising guys that he never would have offered to begin with to go seek opportunities where they can play. And now we're getting guys that you'll see on the field. And I just could not be more, I guess, satisfied as a Michigan State guy to see what's happening right here with the roster turnover.
1: Well, for as long as I can remember, you know, growing up with a a much, much older brother that went to Michigan State and aunts and uncles that went to Michigan State and friends that are Michigan State fans, the framing of the ideal Michigan State season, the goal that you strive for is to beat Michigan and go to the Rose Bowl. Win the Rose Bowl is great, but just go there. Beat Michigan, go to the Rose Bowl. Now, we didn't see that for a very, very, very long time. I went my entire childhood having not seen that. Eventually they get over the hump. They get to the Rose Bowl. They even do better two years later, go to the college football playoff. So we kind of got there. I still think the baseline for Mark D'Antonio, even after he had reached that college football playoff, they still had a old school beat Michigan, get to the Rose Bowl, win the Big Ten mentality. Not that there's anything wrong with that. All wonderful accomplishments. Well, maybe not so much beating Michigan lately, but the Rose Bowl and winning the Big Ten. Great accomplishment. That's been sort of the lens, the, the bar that we're looking for. It seems to me, from the quote that we put up there, everything that they're doing, the way they're running things, Mel Tucker doesn't have eyes for the Rose Bowl or winning the Big Ten. That's great, but he sees that as a step towards mm-hmm. not just getting to the college football playoff and getting blasted. He's operating and functioning as someone that thinks they are realistically in play, not this year or next year, but long term, for winning a national title. And that is I mean you may think that's crazy, that that'll never happen. I'm skeptical. I, I, I just, I've seen us get to that stage a couple times against Alabama, once in a bowl game where we lost 49 to nothing, once in the college football playoff, 38, right. nothing. I've seen us get close and get humiliated. You know, get close, I guess, in theory. You're what mm-hmm. two wins away and get humiliated. I'm curious where you land on this. Two points. One, you agree that whatever you may think of it, Mel Tucker thinks that that's where this program is going, where, maybe, okay, maybe you don't win, but you lose 24-20 to Alabama. Mm-hmm. Do you think that he really thinks that? And second, secondly, if you do think that, you think that's completely insane? Are, are Michigan State fans insane if they think that this team could be in a tight game in the fourth quarter against Clemson in four years? I mean, where do you land on this?
2: So I definitely know that that's exactly how he operates. He does not want there to be an opportunity where Michigan State gets a swing or two at Alabama in the next five years, and suddenly they, they go through the Big Ten, they win the um, Big Ten championship, they find themselves in the playoff, and suddenly they're like, losing 38 nothing because what was good enough to get through the Big 10 is suddenly not good enough to get through Alabama with what he was saying with yeah those players might be good at 6 foot 240 and at defensive tackle they might get you to the playoff like in 2015 when coach D did it but what happens then so that's kind of his whole issue is if we even do get to that point what's going to happen when we run into Alabama and Clemson And if he was over here just recruiting the best players, not really worrying about measurables, that would have been basically, um, it would have shown you that he was just trying to win and not trying to elevate himself above those programs. But for him to not just go the shortest route of get the kids that are the most polished, get the kids that do the best at the Under Armour camps, get the kids that um, have offers from like V schools, he's just not worried about any of that. He's simply worried about, we will get the kids. We will coach them up. But if they're not 6'6", 285 at left tackle, we simply cannot beat these schools like Alabama or whatever. And I have seen countless times on this recruiting board, there will be a kid that's like 6'3", at offensive tackle, who's like a four-star. And the kid is like polished as they come. He could probably come in and play sooner than the guy that's like 6'6". And you look at Ethan Boyd, for an example, from East Lansing High School, who's in the most recent class. Mel Tucker took him, and he was about 270 on signing day. He early enrolled, and right now he's about 330, or sorry, like 305. He's gained about 30 pounds. And that's what they're willing to do. They're willing to get kids that are the proper size, develop them, put weight on them, and make sure that once they do get to the point where they can compete with Alabama Clemson or whatever that they're not just there for the participation trophy, saying we made the playoff. That's what he would have been doing if he was just taking the most polished guys, not worried about development. He's not doing that. He's worrying about how will they compete once we get to that point. So I think the proof is in the pudding. He's absolutely operating with that in mind of what would we do once we face those guys. Let's not just build the best team to get us these kind of regular season, uh, 10 and two records, beating Michigan, going to the the big 10.
1: And it's kind of like same thing with Iowa, right? I mean, in that twenty fifteen game, you know that we mentioned where you know L.J. Scott reaches over the goal line, it's wonderful. But if Iowa had won that game, they would have gotten blasted by Bama too. Mm-hmm. It's like he doesn't want to be peak Iowa or even right. peak Michigan State. Now the, the one counter I'll say, to be fair to poor Mark Antonio, that two thousand thirteen Michigan State team has a good argument for being the best team in the country that mm-hmm. year robbed on the road at Notre Dame five DPIs that were ridiculous. I mean, even Mike Pereira, the NFL rules analyst, tweeted out at the time in real time, I feel bad for Michigan State fans. This is just total tomfoolery from the officiating crew. So that you have to put in the fact that Michigan State had one of the two or three best teams that year and would have been on a neutral field against anybody, no more than like a four or five point underdog. I mean, so that's that's to his credit. But where we are now, I find it fascinating that Mel Tucker is not talking about the Rose Bowl. All Mark D'Antonio talked about, and it was wonderful. He delivered. I love Mark Mm D'Antonio. But you didn't hear Mark D'Antonio talk about national championship. Maybe it's because he was a lot smarter than Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker might be insane. (laughs) We've never danced at this ball. We've never gone to this prom. We've never uh, gone swimming in this pool since the 1960s where we're talking about this no one's really laughing, at least not in the building. They seem to really believe that. So I'm fascinated to see where it goes. Yeah. This attrition that we're seeing, I mean, we talked about Tom Izzo not clutching his blanket like Linus. I, you know, my aforementioned buddy Scott, other people, Michigan fans obviously had their fun. Every five seconds, somebody's transferring out of Michigan State. What's Mel Tucker doing? What kind of influence he's having? I said at the time, I say it now. He's not crying about any of these guys. These guys were not going to have a role here. Has there been anybody that has less left this program that Mel Tucker's like, oh, that guy was going to play 40 snaps a game for me every game? And I mean, it, it just seems like this, this myth out there that like there's this mass attrition and it's an indictment on Mel Tucker, I think it's a total falsehood. Yeah,
2: I, I think the only one that he wasn't going to play much next year still, but I think the only one that they actually didn't want to lose that they lost was Trayvon Morgan, the wide receiver. Um, But everybody other than that, it was one of those things where it was best for both parties, for them to go ahead and live out their dreams and actually see the field and for Michigan State to use that spot more appropriately. Um, Trayvon Morgan was the only one where I actually heard that it was somebody that they thought, someone they had high hopes for for later in his career, but he thought he was more refined than he really was. So he felt that he kind of should have had more playing time right now. I don't think that was the case, but they did think that that's something he could have had in the future, maybe as a junior or senior, but he didn't want to wait that long, I think. So let's see um, where he, I believe Kentucky is where he ended up, I want to say. I think
1: think so, but one, so one exception basically, and even that guy was downstream.
2: Exactly. So, but you get the point where I could only name one person out of this group of 20. So like, that should tell you all you need to know about there's not really that many other people. Oh, and Muldowney's <laughs>
1: tweet that I mentioned earlier, which I hopefully am attributing properly. I'm pretty sure it was him. But, you know, his whole thing about, like, look where yeah, they're exactly. going, Fort Atlantic. we exactly. are not getting scooped up by BAM or Clemson. I mean, right. we're taking some of their guys, but they're not going the <laughs> other way on that road. Yeah, so,
2: I think that tells you all you need to know for sure. Right, that part, right. That part of it.
1: You know, it's like, come on. I mean, it, that was such a good tweet by him, hopefully by him, not by somebody else. Uh, <laughs> sue me. So, anyway, uh, we'll finish here, other than our lovely speed run, which we'll get to in a second. But, it is the cliche bar debate, sports radio, whatever you want to call it. I just, where do you land on the quarterback battle? The old days gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, people were waiting forever for that kind of transfers. Like, dude, you're fourth under the depth yeah. chart. I mean, this guy was going to be Milton in the basement of the football building yeah. with no no desk before he finally left. Mm-hmm. Wish him well. It's basically to me. I throw Noah. Came out. I correct me if I'm wrong. I throw him out. Peyton Thorne versus Anthony Russo. Temple from transfer, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, transfer from Temple, if mm-hmm. I can speak. So who's your money on? Because the uh, the sense I get is the fans out there saying, oh, that Anthony Russo would have never come here without some assurances that he had the inside track. I don't buy that. No, I believe, no. Mel Tucker, mm-hmm. that it's open season. Oh, for sure. You agree there. Absolutely. How does this open season end? Who's under center week one? And you see a sort of juggling of the quarterbacks throughout the year? Do you think Mel sticks with one?
2: Well, first, I would definitely say that I agree with what you said about the open season, not even just the quarterback position, but all of them. I know that when the transfers, the ones that have already enrolled, they were not just given the top of the depth chart. They had to start with the twos or threes and work their way up. So if anyone thinks that guys that are in the portal are getting promised that they'll start above people already here, that's definitely not true um that would just be horrible for the culture if guys were just handed those opportunities and they know that they're smarter than that um but yeah so everyone has to earn it and i do believe that for the quarterback battle once anthony russo has the next few months to continue learning the playbook i do think that he's going to be the one that ends up with the starting job i know um peyton thorne had a few nice throws in the spring game and a lot of people thought that he's suddenly the front runner i would attribute a lot of that to their able to open up the playbook more for him in the spring game he was more comfortable with it and i think you'll really start to see the advantage that anthony russo has as a fifth-year senior someone that's had four offensive coordinators in five years or whatever the stat is you'll see that come into play now when he gets a chance to sit down and really start learning the system over the next few months he'll get caught up from the mental side of things and on from the on field standpoint he's just a polished quarterback he has the one flaw which are the interceptions but When I went through and actually watched the full games for why those interceptions were occurring, it started to become clear that part of it was because of the fact that he was almost always getting hit while he's throwing. He did not have much offensive line protection. Receivers can never get any separation. They were mostly trailing, so he had to find ways to make plays or else end up punting. So he was always behind the eight ball and just forcing himself to make plays because of the situation the team was in and the kind of help he had. I don't think that the interceptions will be as big of a deal here, but yes, a lot of them were him just trusting his arm too much, so it will be an issue. But if you look back to where Michigan State was at last year with the interception issue, like I think Rocky and even Peyton Thorne might have, been, um, might have had a ratio less than one, one-to-one, in terms of touchdowns and interceptions. And Russo will be better than that. Even just last year, he, I believe, had nine touchdowns, six interceptions. And the other thing with Russo is he moves the ball very well. Um, He's Temple's all-time leading passing yards leader for a reason. And even if he does start throwing interceptions, it won't be like, you get the ball, there's an interception, the other team's starting in the red zone, they're scoring, we're not moving the ball. He'll be moving the ball consistently, and there will be an occasional interception to end the drive once the ball started moving. You'll be seeing Michigan State move the ball, score more often than not, and it'll be... A much more effective level of quarterback play than last year, even if the interceptions are still an issue. So, so you're a
1: Russo guy. That's interesting. He seems to have the bigger arm, mm-hmm. just the more raw talent. Thorn, I'm kind of a Thorn guy, though. I gotta say, more cerebral. I, you know, every cliche you can check really. coaches, son and, and Jim Rat, and you know, first one there, last one to leave, kind of thing. I just, I, I, I just like the kid. I, I just think he's, he's got something there that I really like. Obviously, you saw what he did in some stints last year. I mean, part of it was Rocky Lombardi was like throwing it into the ground. Mm -hmm. I just think it was sort of a comparison thing. But no, I don't have any exposure to Russo really. So other than what we we hear about him and know about him and that. So uh, anyway, so let's move um, to our speed round. If uh, if Ben, what's going on with our screen there? Did we just uh, disconnect from the world?
0: Just connected real quick. It'll come right back.
1: Okay. Well, let me know. Are we still live right now? We are. You just cursed it. I just cursed it.
0: The screen was fine until you said, oh, let's move to the speed round. And then it just
1: went out. (laughs) But we are live. So the audience can hear what I'm saying, right? (laughs) Okay. So it's no problem. So, I mean, we don't even need the graphic. As long as they can hear me, we can can skip the graphics because, you know, you can just... um, Roll with uh, my beautiful spoken word here. So we talked a little bit before the show, similar to word association, but not really. Say a couple sentences, a couple words, whatever you want to do. No limit. Do whatever the fuck you want. I don't care. No rules here. It's your show, not mine today. So the first one up, if I didn't go to MSU, I always said, you know, Austin, Texas probably would be, you know, it'd be cool to be a, a Texas Longhorn. If you didn't go to MSU, you could go to anywhere else for undergrad. I know you just graduated. Congratulations. What would be like door number two? You could pick anywhere you want in the country.
2: Would I actually have to qualify? Does this have to be realistic?
1: No, (laughs) it can be Harvard, but you're a smart guy. You could go.
2: Um, I'd say Stanford, maybe, or UCLA. No, Chip Kelly kind of ruined the vibe. UCLA would Um, be pretty cool, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe USC, if Clay Helton gets replaced here pretty soon by someone better. Ah, USC
1: sucks, <laughs> man. That campus sucks. So I, I used to party there when I was still an undergrad because uh, my buddy lived in LA. And yeah, most overrated like that. It's like in the shittiest area. Like it's, it, it's I mean, the campus itself yeah. is nice, but like if you step like three feet off campus, yeah. like, you think you're going to get stabbed. Like it's, yeah, USC is <laughs> highly overrated. UCLA, not so much. Awesome. Coral campus.
2: Gables, Miami would be nice.
1: Pepperdine would be nice. Pepperdine, yeah,
2: right on the beach in Malibu, right? A lot. Yes,
1: they just Google like Pepperdine University. Yep. It's like they're looking out of their accounting class and seeing dolphins jump out of the water. It's pretty insane. So Speaking of college towns, Ann Arbor. I have long argued that Ann Arbor, from the Michigan State perspective, is underrated. They kick our ass on the culinary side. It's actually kind of a fun town. Their restaurants are a thousand times better than ours. They have like live theater. I'm a theater dork. I love that stuff. They have good live concerts there. We haven't Seen that really since the the Verve pipe like 25 years ago. Yeah. Like, where do you stand on Ann Arbor as a
2: town? Ann Arbor as a town. Here's how I would put it. Ann Arbor, if you take the university out of the equation.
1: Which we're doing. We're talking about the town.
2: Right. The town is much better than East Lansing if you take Michigan State out of the equation. So I guess what you could say is... Michigan State carries East Lansing, so that's points for Michigan State in this case. However, if I'm visiting one of the two towns for a day.
0: Stop beating around the bush. It's <laughs> Ann Arbor by a mile. I'm trying
2: not to get canceled here by my own faithful, but I, I think uh, Ann Arbor's is um, an easier place to spend the day, but I would not choose Ann Arbor over East Lansing. If I was trying to be a student for like practicality reasons, that whole big city feel, not really for me. Well, it's just not
1: that fun. I mean, I did. Yeah. I dated a girl in undergrad that went to U of M. You know, I was you know, obviously opposite end of the spectrum, but like I would have to visit her there. And, and I guess I would say I partied there. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's if you can call it partying. I remember we went to this one house party. And I was just along for the ride with her Michigan friends. I don't know where the fuck it was. Couldn't even tell you. But they had, like, a list at the door. Like, it was the Roxbury. It was just a shitty house. Like, the wall, the wallpaper's peeling off. And the the guy standing there with a clipboard and says, uh, "Is your name on the list?" I'm like, "Dude, I don't want to even be here. I don't, I don't <laughs> speak to your list." And but we our our group it was like eight girls and like me and one other guy, so we were allowed to go in even though we didn't speak to the list. Right. Like Michigan State, I party at Central, partied at Western a couple of times. Just walk in. I mean, just go. They don't care. Yeah, Michigan. They have clipboard. I don't know if they still do, but in 2005, 2006, they had clipboards to get in the house parties. I, I mean, that's insane to me. That's that's just. But the the town. Is much better than East Lansing, and I love East Lansing. It's like my favorite place on earth. But come on, the seventeenth best restaurant in Ann Arbor is better than anything in East Lansing.
2: We are not disrespecting Eastside Fish Fry like that. Where you've never been to Eastside Fish Fry? Is this one of those
1: places that got built in the last like fifteen years? Every time I go up there, I have no idea where I am. I I I, can't
2: believe
1: I graduated from this place.
2: Couldn't tell you when it was built. However, I will tell you that Guy Fieri has been there for Diners, Dives, and Drive-ins. Okay, really great, really great fried chicken.
1: I'll have to check it out I'll
2: have to get it on your
1: recommendation. I mean, the best places in East Lansing are all gone. I mean, Flats, Grill. I, I talked about that with Tony Paul, great writer for the Detroit News. Anyway, okay, let's get off Ann Arbor. <laughs> but if best place in Ann Arbor, by the way, Zingerman's. If you're going for the bar, the little brown jug, we know the owner, Perry. Good guy. Let's move on. And this will be a tough one off the top of your head. I know you've had so many. You have so many friends and, and you know, virtual family in this program. Your notable MSU athlete interaction, your most notable. That you saw Cassius Winston I at know. a bar doing something. Give give it to me. So What's the best I, one? So
2: I won't include like the the guys that I would like see on a regular basis, um, like Jaron and those guys. But I will say it was uh, one night. It was like two a.m. and I was driving in the parking lot by eighteen fifty-five, and uh, I was playing some totally unknown underground Detroit rap song, and like nobody, I didn't know anyone that even knew this song. It's, I'm driving with the window down. Suddenly Cassius Winston comes around the corner and he like tells me to like stop the car, walks up to the window, daps me up. He's like, dude, I've never seen someone play this song on campus. And then just kept walking. And that's oh, that's a that, that's a perfect one. Yeah. So the second, the second you said like interaction, that's that's definitely what comes to mind. But um, freshman year I had Jaron Jackson in one of my classes, and like we would go and eat lunch right after that and that dude was just as funny as he seems like on social media and stuff like that. Um just a lot of a lot of funny stories with him. That's probably it's probably like a story for each day that that we had lunch together like whether it would be somebody coming up um asking him for a picture and he would say only if you tried the sandwich that I just had built from the deli or or yeah just just the funniest stories with that dude. But yeah, at Michigan State there's um you see athletes all the time because it's uh, like a Big Ten school like that. And you just like uh, really see like how normal and how cool these guys are. None of them really have a big head, at least not in the time that I was there. Um, just all the great things to say about all my, all my interactions with any of them.
1: Yeah, I, I haven't really had a bad one. I, the, I mean, bad and like <laughs> that they were rude. But yeah. my one to interject on your segment here. <laughs> so it was 2013. Right. Michigan State is playing at Ann Arbor. Everyone knows this game on both sides of the rivalry. Keith Appling has the ball at the end. It's going to overtime probably. They're either going to score and win or it's going to overtime tie game. Trey Burke strips him when he's looking over at Tom Izzo to ask for a timeout or not. Burke scores. Michigan State loses. That was in Ann Arbor. I was at that game. I was very, very upset. I was with one Spartan and one Michigan alum. Michigan alum was obviously thrilled. Devastating <laughs> loss. Like, you're, you're thinking worst case overtime, best case we're going to score here at the end. Like, the last thing you thought was going to happen, happened right in front of us. Yeah. We're depressed as hell. We, and the Michigan fan drove separately Leaves. I go back to East Lansing <laughs> with my Michigan State buddy. It takes forever to get out of Ann Arbor because, yeah. of course, it does. Yeah, like So, a one-hour drive was like two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. We're fucking miserable. It was like a 4.30 tip, I think. By the time we got back, you know, the game ended. It was like 9, 9.30. It's dark. We're pissed off. It sucked. We're like we're getting hot and ready. Like we're gonna we're gonna honor you know she in sports Michigan State guy. Like we're get, we're going for the uh, hot and ready, right? Oh, uh,
2: is, is Matt a Michigan? Is he a, a Little Caesars guy? Oh yeah, he,
1: uh, he and I are like the big Caesars fans. Yeah. So, gosh, so, so
0: sh- shut the fuck
1: up. <laughs> so, so so we we can do that different night. I mean, I'm not gonna get defensive here, but uh, no. So we go into the Little Caesars. My buddy, and I go into the Little Caesars, and we see. Derek, Nick's walking right uh-huh. behind us. He had just, like, just lost in Ann Arbor a few hours ago. And he walks in with, he's got his sweats on, his headphones on. And the guy just looked like his, his three favorite dogs all died in the same car accident. Like it was just the most depressed I've ever seen anybody. So he's in line right behind us. Like we order, we're just shooting the shit with him. Like, hey man, that sucks. Like whatever, you guys will be fine. And so he orders two pizzas and we're like, hey man, like you guys hanging out? Like what's going on tonight? He goes, no, this is me. And he, so he walked out of there with two whole hot rays. My buddy's like, dude, you're going to fucking down both of them? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. It's that kind of night. So we saw Derek Nix. I mean, that's like we were doing the math. Or we yeah. going to like their nutrition. It's like that's like 9,000 calories or something. I couldn't believe it. So, yeah, we saw after that devastating loss to Michigan, we saw Derek Nix a few hours later back home in East Lansing walk moping into the Little Caesars <laughs> and walk out with two hot reds. that he said, It's like, oh, yeah, this is me. This is just me. So that, that was mine. I'll get, I'll get oh, out of your lane run. here. I like your Cassius Woodson one more. It's happier. <laughs> Speaking of East Lansing, best place to watch a game in East Lansing? And, you know, not the stadium. Like, you're watching on TV. Like, you know, a bar sitting in your apartment on Charles Street or wherever you lived? Like what, what was the best place to watch a game? You're sitting at home, you're sitting at a bar.
2: For me, I, I need to watch a game in like either total silence or with diehards. because like I'm picking apart every single thing. So the boring answer, I'll give you a real answer in a second, but the boring answer is honestly just in an apartment with only people that are seriously invested. But, um, as far as the public answer, I'd say the new bar Fieldhouse. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or been there. No, man, weird. I'm
1: old. I don't know any of these new places.
2: Yeah. So, Fieldhouse, Fieldhouse is the new place to be. That's, that's what's like number one in Eastland. Fieldhouse. Yeah. Is that where is that? It's uh, right next to Hopcat. Oh, so I know Hopcat. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, they built new high rise apartments to the right of it. And uh, that's, where, that's where Fieldhouse is, right across the street from Barrio, which is my favorite. Tacos that I've ever had. Um, so those are the those are the places to be on that little intersection right there with Fieldhouse Barrio.
1: You could there. be describing like the Iowa State campus. I would know. <laughs> I don't know any of these places, and I lived there. I I, I had a condo there that I kept four years after graduation. It's a different planet, yeah. whatever. I'm with I'm with you, though. Like, I, I was at the 2011 Big Ten title game that we lost to Wisconsin, yeah. the Russell Wilson thing. And I knew the second that they made contact with the punter, I was waiting for the flag to come out, and you see the, the yellow, you know, thing go up in the sky. Yeah. And I was like, let's go, because you knew the game was <laughs> over. And my wife, God bless her, because who was it, Keyshawn Martin or whoever it was, yeah. is running up the sideline returning the punt, you know, that we all know is getting called back. Yeah. She's screaming, yeah, touchdown, <laughs> score, like go, make it all the way like, it just, no offense to my wife, who's yeah. but just, like, I wanted to punch everybody that was cheering, because it's like, if yeah. you actually know football, you know the game's over. Like, you yeah. saw the infraction. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I Everyone with any cynicism like me was saying before the play, like, don't touch the putter, don't touch the putter. Yeah, there it is. There's definitely. the flag. It's all. Oh, the game was over. Like, it's same thing with the Super Bowl. This is kind of a Bill Burr bit, but I totally agree with him, like. I don't like big Super Bowl parties because I actually football and mm-hmm. like football and usually have some kind of bet on it. Yeah. And like people that are just like, oh, I don't like that commercial. It's like, yeah, I, it's, oh, yeah I'm with you on that. <laughs> so, okay, you could change the outcome of one game. One game that you could just Michigan State lost, you flip it, they win. I put mine on the board here, 2010 Final Four. Gordon Hayward should have been called for a foul on Draymond Green. What game do you flip the outcome of if you can just pick one?
2: I know it's boring because of how recent it is, but I'm taking Michigan State to beat Texas Tech. I don't think they lose to Tony Bennett in the next in the next game.
1: I agree. They have his number. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. And really I I think that was a function of no backup point guard. Cassius Winston's Mm -hmm. knee was aching in that game. I mean, it just Matt McQuaid was on the show. I can't remember if this was on camera or one of our conversations off camera. So, but it may have been off camera, but not off record. But he he did say, like, yeah, cash was not cash Look at that point. Like, his yeah. knee was killing him. Like, it just, it, he wasn't right that game. Definitely. Didn't, you know, get it back up point guard next time. Thanks a lot, Foster. <laughs> anyway, so we'll finish here. Michigan, on our way out. We've done all Michigan State. Let's finish for a little nugget for the Michigan fans. Jim Harbaugh has blank many years left. How one. many years left? One. one. You think one. this is it?
2: Yeah. There's no yeah
1: bizarre extension, I mean the whole thing was bizarre.
2: yeah, I'm surprised, well, I guess it's kind of an empty extension with how easy the buyout is for the school. Um, I just hope for the I hope the recruits kind of see the language of it so they're not kind of not misled, but I, I want them to see the big picture of it. I don't bring it up to them. it's not my business, but I, that's that's not an extension that's of the norm that has an easy buyout for the university to. Turn to it any time. And I don't think that this season is going to be back to their usual 10 win seasons that he's put quite a few of together. This is going to be one of those, it won't be as bad as last year, but it's going to be somewhere in the middle ground. And it's going to be another year where they don't beat Ohio State. Um, I'll go on the record and say I don't think they're beating Michigan State this year. Um, I don't think they'll beat Penn State this year. Um, even if they get a winning record out of it and go to a bowl game, if they lose to all three of those teams again. Why, why would they really keep them, to be honest? A lot, a lot of, of confidence
1: yeah. in Sparty beating uh, U of M. I, oh, yeah. I we, mean, did you see how bad we looked in the other five games last year?
2: Yeah, but we, the, n- most of the roster is brand new. We have like yeah. a third of our roster is new. Um, a lot of the most, I'd say half the portal guys we got will be starters. Our roster is going to, Michigan State's roster is going to be much different next year for the better. And I don't know if Michigan can say that. Is Harbaugh three and three against Michigan State now? Three and it three, sounds right? about right.
1: It's three and three because we had obviously trouble with the snap. Yeah. we had the rain game fourteen yeah. ten, and we had last year.
2: True. and
1: three losses. So he's three, and three. So if he's three and four against Michigan State and zero and two to Mel Tucker, I, I mean, the you have to know at least one Michigan fan. I mean, th- that's going to be unfortunately. The, it's going to be some of them are very nice. But that's going to be a problem for them. Like, I mean, that's that's. So I don't know. I have no expectations for Michigan State football. They were so bad last year. But it's a total turnover. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's like I don't. You know, who knows if these guys are even good? I don't know. You did a great job, man. Doesn't then just tease something? Like, yeah, you got a great show, Spartan Beat. You took over the reins from Rico Beard. Tease something for our audience here. Where can they find you? Where can they check you out?
2: Um. So actually. Tomorrow, uh, well, we're recording tomorrow, but me and my co-host, Corey Robinson, who he's the one actually that kind of helped me get into this industry. I can't say enough good things about Corey. Uh, Me and him uh, do the Spartan beat. And on Thursday, we're going to have uh, offensive line coach Chris Kapilovic uh, on our show. Um, One of my favorite coaches um, on the staff. One of my favorite coaches in all of college football, actually. Um, So I expect that to be a great, a great conversation here on Thursday. Um, but, yeah, beyond that, I would say definitely go ahead and check out the work we do on SpartanTailgate.com. Uh, I would recommend getting the VIP subscription so you can actually see the content we post in the VIP thread. And, uh, yeah, just follow me on Twitter. And uh, just if you like Michigan State, I would say that... that uh, I bring at least a decent amount of content to Oh, you bring
1: uh, voluminous (laughs) content and very good content. And it was was great to have you. You know, you had talked about it before. The problem with dealing with someone as young as you is you have to like, you know, do finals and shit. I mean, like when I asked Tony Paul, (laughs) I might be interfering with a bar night, but I'm not breaking up his midterm. You know, it's like, it's, you know, you're, you're such a young, precocious guy and uh, it's just your your talent speaks for itself. I'm really excited to watch. Uh, I like watching your your content now and, and seeing what you're putting out there. I think you do an awesome job. I, I think you do an awesome job at making people like me insecure about why we weren't at your level <laughs> when we were 12 years old. But uh, man, uh, continued success to you. Really appreciate you coming in. I'd love to have you back. Uh, you really know your shit. And you know, I think you were you're just rock solid tonight, man. You did a great job for these Michigan State
2: fans. I really there. appreciate that. I'll definitely be back soon for sure. All right. For well, sure. good
1: luck with those final exam grades. I know you're done writing them, but yeah. uh they if it's anything like my day, back on my day, they take their time getting them back. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know if I was graduating for three weeks. Anyway, that was Justin thinn Uh, check him out everywhere. Spartan B247, SpartanTailgate.com. Just an awesome, awesome guy. Honestly, if you don't, if you're a cheapskate, don't want to pay for that content. His Twitter account's awesome to so check him out there. So thank you to Ben Augusta, who normally I say all nice things about, but I don't know what Ben did there. If he spilled a Pepsi on, on our board and crashed the feed. So, Ben, I'm giving you a B- minus today. You get all A-pluses wow. everywhere. You get a B. You still get a passing grade. What is that, a 2.7 at Michigan State with their grading? To, or 2.5? Um,
2: yeah, it's all two five. It's yeah. all .5s and O's it's now. still
1: .5s, yeah. No, it was like that when I was yeah, there. It's probably B- well-deserved. You get, you get a B-, minus. you get a 2.5. I don't know what it's you did. It's okay.
2: This, this semester, you would just turn that to an S for satisfactory and just hide the grade. Yeah, that's, he's going to retake <laughs> this
1: exam. Actually, we're going to just start this show over. He's going to retake the class. So uh, Ben, do a great job, man, and uh, appreciate Ben Augusta. Eric Williamson, who is, I don't know, he may not even be wearing his boxers at this hour. He might be totally in his birthday suit at this point. Came over and was, you know, fixing our lights uh, 10 minutes before tip-off here. So thank you to Eric. Thank you to all you guys. Hey, we're linear growth, basically. I mean, our show's taking taken off. Appreciate you. It's, it's really a credit to the audience and uh, your dedication to this little Wayne's World sports thing we got going on here. So we may have one between now and next week. I don't know. We're working on it. But if we don't, the next time you will see me live will be Friday, May 21st for a fascinating conversation that I'm terrified may end my limited <laughs> broadcasting career. John Ziegler, a very fiery journalist, a guy that writes uh, senior columnist for media. I a Emmy award-winning broadcaster is coming in to discuss the Jerry Sandusky case from a decade ago. And the reason he knows for a fact that Jerry Sandusky is innocent. We're going full Joe Rogan conspiracy theory on the Superior Avenue show. This will be a really interesting one. He's flying in from California to do the show. He actually likes this show, believe it or not, John Ziegler from uh, the other side of the country. So uh, maybe we'll see you before that, but if not, Friday May 21st check that out 9 o'clock as always if not you can always catch us after the fact we're on literally everything now thanks Ben for all those accounts this was the Spiro Avenue show episode 31 with Justin and Justin tonight thank you for joining us we'll see you next week